go. Welcome everyone to our latest episode of This One Time at OU. Really excited uh, for our guest this episode, Brennan Donlin, who I've known oh, for 52 years, uh, and probably the major reason that I ended up at OU, and then Brennan's my older brother who went to OU, and like few people I know, uh, with the exception of Devin, and welcome Devin, welcome to the show, it's been a while, glad to have you back. Glad to be here. I guess Devin, Roz, and Slats all work in their field, but I did not. Brennan went on uh, from a television start at OU and made a career with it. And we're here to talk about his latest documentary, Hollywood Bob. So excited to hear, Brennan. Welcome. Excited to hear about your time at OU. And yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. How you took your your degree at OU and made, it, made such a successful career out of it. So... Tell us about your time at OU. When did you go to OU? Well, first of all, yeah, I, I uh, went from 81 through 85, graduated in 85. Um, started my freshman year in Biddle Hall on the East Green, which was an all-boys um, dorm, you know, of course. And there was an all-girls dorm next door, which was the same size. These were two little small dorms next to each other. And so, of course, we co-mingled with the girls, which is what college students do. But living in a dorm with all young men out on their own for the first time was uh, pretty wild and a crazy experience for sure. But I have a lot of good memories of it. Uh, any friends that only made it a quarter or two? We had that. Yeah, the, uh... yeah. That that well, you know, there was some attrition, unfortunately. But um, and that that was kind of sad to see those folks go. But um, some of them, some of us made it all the way through. So um, we 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 managed. We had what it took, I guess. And you did it in four years. Way to go! Yeah, four years and and a, an extra summer. Well, that's good. So, uh, Biddle. Then you you said I remember you went to. The South Green now, right? Yeah. In sophomore year, I moved to New South, which at the time was like the place to be. They had the so-called quads, um, which were uh, co-ed. And also you had sort of a little shared living room. I'm sure everybody knows what that was. But That um, was good living, though. Yeah, that, w- that was good living at the time. I'm, I, my wife's cousin went to OU, graduated this year, in fact. And we went to visit her. And she lived on new, newer dorms on the South Green that I would say were luxury apartments compared to where we lived. And they referred to where I used to live as the Dirty South. Those were the old dirty dorms. And I think they just tore those down. That is sad. I wonder, like, if what people – I know my son in his college, he, he lives in the original dorm – and there are the other ones are luxury dorms. It's just luck of the draw. Who gets to be in the dirty south versus new south? I bet. Well, I don't think it's luck of the draw because my um, my wife's cousin was from out of state, and so they're paying a higher tuition, and I think they use those luxury dorms to attract the students that are paying more money. Ah, oh, I didn't. Yeah, it, it, it costs, costs more. more. You, you have, have options. options. You can. Yeah, my, my kids, kids live in the dorm west. west. Which were older, older dorms with like, like window, window air conditioners, conditioners but still very much dorm rooms. rooms. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize that. I guess I uh, I lived in what would now be the the dirty south. I must have been paying low tuition. <laughs> That's all right. Cool. Well, we all, we we've talked uh, a lot of folks we have on the podcast. We talk about all the uh, substandard housing we lived in post dorms. 
what was yours like? Well, I just remember I, I lived in many different houses. Uh, they had a thing where you could get out of the dorms sophomore year if you filed papers that showed you could live more cheaply um, off campus. Uh, and so I did that. So spring quarter of my sophomore year, I moved into a house on Congress Street with two of my buddies. And um, that was really, really a dive. I, I remember that um, we had an oven that we would try to use to heat up our frozen pizzas or whatever. And the only way to light the oven was you would um, catch news, set newspapers on fire, throw them in the oven, turn on the gas full blast and close the oven door and then leave the room and wait a few seconds or a few minutes until you heard a boom and the oven door would fly open and then the oven was ready to use. So uh, that was just one one part of it that was pretty um, substandard, I would say. I say that sounds to code. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, but yeah, I remember another night where um, we had a massive party. It just got really, really out of control. And I went to bed. I was like, I had enough of this. I'm going to bed. The next thing I knew, uh, people were beating on my door saying the cops were here. And so, um, just another adventure at OU, I guess. Yeah, and that's, uh, they come in kind of phases a bit, like little little glimpses sometimes, because I don't remember all of them. Yeah, yeah, but I lived in a lot of other houses, but that was the most memorable. I don't remember the street names or the locations. I've been back a few times, and some of them aren't even there yet anymore. I know one of them isn't there anymore, but... We had a good time. Well, Devin had the uh, – he was fortunate to have his children go there. So he probably – Devin, I'd say you know the geography. Roz has been back a lot too, so you guys know all the streets, I think. Yeah, we, yeah, we walked, walked around, around a lot, and the kids, kids live in different, different places, places, so walk even more and figuring out streets and where to pick people up. So, so I didn't know the streets when I was there. It was like left, right, right whatever, get to Tim's house. house. Yeah, good stuff. Good, good, good fun. But I, I know now that the housing. I remember it was kind of hard to get a house. Everyone ended up in a house, but you kind of had to, you know, you, you couldn't wait around when it was time. You know, you're getting out of the dorms, time to get a house. You had to really go after. It. Even each year you did if you weren't going to renew. And now I, I went back a few years ago, and the houses were plenty for rent because of the apartments. What are those called, Devin? When you go out like past the convocation center on Highland up on the hill, there used to be carriage hill apartments near there, but this is before that. Is it the ridges? Is that what they call those apartments, like from the hospital? Maybe. I'm, I'm not, not quite, quite sure. sure on that. Well, I know my niece Ashley lived in one, and it was four, kind of like the quads you were talking about, Brennan. It was, but this is four bedrooms, and each bedroom has its own bathroom, and you shared a kitchen and living room together, and I guess maybe laundry room. I don't know. And it is, and then they had. Um, a bus that leaves every half hour that takes you up until two thirty at night that takes you back and forth in downtown. So a different experience, but uh, I don't know. I guess you could walk it too. Well, where did you work? Did you work at OU? Yeah, I, I worked at WOUB, the TV station, um, for probably three of the four years, which was sort of a work study kind of thing, but learned a lot. Probably one of my best experiences overall academically was working at WOUB and getting to produce um, uh, spots, uh, promotional spots, and work on shows that were produced by the, the public television station there. And then I worked all four years uh, in the cafeteria, uh, which I really liked, it, 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 um, mainly because I could eat. In other hey, words, one can of the I ask perks. a quick question about the uh, 
Oh, sorry. About the yeah. TV station? Yeah, sure. Because I remember Devin and I were talking about this, that the radio station was all cable. Like, now was your television station just on cable? Because cable, like cable radio just seemed like maybe not the best idea, but I guess cable television was out by then. Was your television station cable only like the radio station was no not not at all w-o-u-b television and radio are public broadcasting they still are uh public radio public television and they were broadcasting to the whole region of that part of ohio and west virginia and you know it was pbs and the student newscasts did air on w-o-u-b um the radio station was sort of a typical NPR station for that region in that they did a lot of folk and Appalachian music, but um, they had a lot of you know varied programming as you would hear on uh, any NPR station. And the students had the opportunity to work there, but the staff ran the place and the staff were the on-air personalities. And it was a legit professional uh, public radio station, which I think made it, um, that was part of what made the program there so, so good is that you got to work at a real station, whether it was television and radio. ACRN is the student radio station that you're talking about. I believe it was uh, All Campus Radio Network or Athens Campus Radio Network. Um, And that was the one that was all on cable, but that was the one that played all the the student, the music that we liked. And, um, you know, it was fun. It was fun. I knew some people that were involved in that. I, I didn't really get involved in it too much. So, did you have professors professors at WOUB, or were they just staff? Um, They were not, I guess, what you would call official professors. There's one uh, guy named Keith Newman, who was a mentor of mine, who really uh, helped me over the years there. And Keith was a producer. Keith won Emmys for um, music programming that he produced at WOUB, television shows, and he also had a regular radio show. And so, the staff weren't professors. I think they did teach some classes. Um, I don't think I ever had any of those folks for my classes though. Um, so it was separate. And I, and I know since I left, some of those folks do, they are professors now. So it was really, um, a a mix of academic, but real world as real world as you can get in Athens, Ohio. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's one, one thing, thing I, I liked about, about my professors there is in advertising, especially a lot of them were retired ad, ad, admin, admin, you know, right? right? So, so they're, they're there teaching the class, they weren't, they'd had the experience, they'd been there, it wasn't just all higher education people, professors people. Right, right. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, the program has a well-earned reputation even now and even then because um, it really was um, a good experience. Yeah, and people like yourself get out and, and, and use it and are successful with it. So that certainly helps their reputation. Um, we talked about the radio station, television station. Devin, you guys, you and Brandon both have communications degree. Are they the same degree? Is there an Ohio University a school of communications? Is that what it's – I mean, is your, your degree is equal or are they specialized? I don't know how that works. Well, well, yeah, go ahead, Devin. I, I think mine's – I think, I think Scripps, Scripps came, came along with a sponsorship, sponsorship maybe right, right after, after that, that, right after 85, possibly, possibly in that area. And um, um, it's a journalism, journalism degree with advertising management. I think TCOM was slightly different. Yeah, TCOM. That's what it was, telecommunications. Um and it was it was the College of Communications. That's all I assume the same. But then I was in telecommunications, which at that time meant television. 
I know it means something totally different now. And that's why on my resume, I don't say that because people are like, what does that mean? Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was, we were in the college of communications, but we did different things. I studied a lot of journalism classes, journalism and visual communications. That was part of my curriculum, but my degree was actually in television production. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know, know visual, visual was all writing. writing. <laughs> 100%. Well, good. That's you guys at least were able to work in your career. But you know what? I am too working in my career because my degree was in general studies. So I'm like, you know what? I'm always going to be working in my career. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's right. That's good. That's, hello, you're a, before I interrupt. You're telling about where you worked. Uh, you were saying uh, you worked at the cafeteria. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I worked at the cafeteria all four years. I was like cleanup crew uh, in the kitchen, and that was not considered to be. Um, a desirable job like that was sort of the low totem pole but for me um it was great because i could come and go get my work done in a couple of hours and i could always eat for free and so even when i was a junior senior if i was broke i always knew i had um had food and so that's <laughs> that was my incentive i'm um, gonna be clean and fed no matter yeah, what happens yeah yeah so no it was good it, it, it was a good place to be and um uh i i enjoyed i enjoyed it i liked the benefits for sure did you bring uh, home food to your housemates? No, no, that we that wasn't allowed, and I don't remember ever doing that. Um, I remember in the summer, it was banquet season. The students were mostly gone, and they would have all these banquets every week, and they would serve these giant pieces of beef that they would carve off of. But like I, I, to this day, I don't even know what part of the cow this was because this piece of beef like weighed as much as I did, and it was huge. And then, you know, they would bring it out, after the banquet back to the kitchen and we would all descend on it and just pull big chunks off of it and eat it. Uh, but it was good. It was very tasty. Was it, was that delivered by what was the Oblenis like ambulance service? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> that's uh well, that, that's great. Cause it is, uh, I remember right working in restaurants and I worked at, uh, I worked at Hole in the Wall, as I mentioned several times. And yeah. Always being able to eat, uh, was, was a bonus. And I also remember, Getting off the meal plan, I think I was off of it my sophomore year, which was unusual living in the dorms. Um, but I remember my senior year thinking, boy, I'd really like to have one of those meal tickets now. Yeah, I remember you know, people complain about it when they're freshmen, but then having to live on your own and eat on your own was not always easy. Yeah, that's for sure. And at least at least they always had cereal, so you can never go wrong with that. <laughs> right, right. Well, tell us, uh, I remember you uh, had a great internship. Was that right after college? Yeah, it was actually um, before my last quarter. Um, I was an intern at Late Night with David Letterman. This was the third year of David Letterman's show on NBC. And so it wasn't the big, he wasn't the big star that he is today. He was just starting up. And the show was a college student's type of show, a cult type of show that was just growing in popularity. So that was the coolest place to be. And the program there had an internship program where they, a pipeline where they would send students um, regularly to New York city to intern on late night with David Letterman. I was fortunate enough to score that and had a great experience. I um, had an opportunity to meet a lot of celebrities. You know, as I think back, I'm always struck by the fact that people that were celebrities back then aren't really famous anymore and many of the names most people wouldn't even have heard of them but uh i did get a chance to meet uh eric clapton uh johnny cash and waylon jennings together 
and uh, some other folks. So, um, yeah, those were, were wonderful um, experiences and memories. Yeah, hey, kids, don't you know who Tammy Faye Baker is? Well, was, <laughs> you know, I, I remember um, Purple Rain, the Prince movie, had come out. And there was a woman named Apollonia who was in that movie. Oh, yeah, Apollonia yeah. 6, right? Yeah, but she was like a huge star at that time. And now people are like, who? And um, I could go down a list of many, many people like that that um, were famous at the time, no longer famous. But, you know, there were um, uh, Diane Keaton. I got to go to her apartment one time. Um, that was pretty cool. And so, hey, easy. Sometimes kids looking at this. Yeah, no, nothing like that. I had to deliver some tapes, and I never saw Diane Keaton. I only saw her assistant. Oh, that's awesome. Well, did you? Oh, yeah, because you're in New York, I guess. Or no, yeah. So you're uh, probably a lot of those folks lived in New York. Yeah, and you yeah. lived uh, New York when you probably lived one of those fancy high rise apartments. Oh no, no. Um, I it was pretty nice where I lived. It, it sounds funny, but I lived at the YMCA. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. I, I never went there. I went to visit you, but I don't remember your living. I mean, living at the Y, I always thought it was kind of bad. Didn't you have shared bathrooms and all? Well, it was. It, it was that, but it was um, the YMCA at the time. It was 63rd and Central Park West, so it was a super right, premium nice. location. It was um, basically a college dorm. You had to. You, they had student programs where you would apply for internships, just like mine, and you would stay there. And so it was about 90% college students who were living there in a dorm-type facility um, that did have shared bathrooms. And it was about 10% uh, kind of like weirdos and perverts um, who, you know, would roam the halls late at night. And so, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting mix. But it was really a pretty nice place. It was a pretty good deal. I could walk to work every day at 30 Rock, and it was pretty fun. Yeah, and New York, this was probably like pre-cleanup New York too, huh? You know, I, I, I love that because um, I did have an opportunity to get the sort of tail end of the kind of Patti Smith, CBGB, legendary New York scene that was not, you know, it, it was just an echo of what it was before, but uh, lower Manhattan was still a pretty rough place with a lot of great music and a lot of great clubs, and um, it was kind of scary and dangerous, and that made it even more fun. Um, you know, when you go there now, it's it's all nothing but um, nothing but tourist stuff and wealth. But back then, it still had that edge, and um, I feel really lucky to have been able to participate in some of that. Well, that's a great transition going from Athens where there's no bad parts of town and you can do whatever you want and walk around anywhere to that. It probably, uh, you had to watch it. Or I guess you probably weren't afraid because you didn't know any better and you're just like, yeah, let's go. You know, and that is the thing. I, I wasn't really afraid because I was too dumb to know better. And, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it worked out okay. I didn't get mugged. Well, that uh, internship proved successful because – did you get a job right out of the internship? I know that you worked in, let me see if I can get it right, uh, Columbus, Norfolk, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Syracuse, Boston, Atlanta? Yeah, that's right. That's right, all those cities. But, um, yeah, I uh, did not stay in New York because I had to come back to OU. At the time, OU had a rule that said you couldn't do your internship as your final quarter you had to come back and finish at the school. And the reason for that is they didn't want to put those employers in a position of putting you out on the street. You know, in other words, okay, see you later. Good luck with your career. 
you had to go back to school. And so it made the, the companies more willing to take on interns. So I didn't go back to New York. Instead, I got into the local news business. And um, I did work in all those cities that you mentioned. Um, worked in newsrooms all over the country. I became a news director and led newsrooms in several cities. And um, news director in, uh, assistant news director in Boston, news director in Syracuse, Cincinnati, and then Cleveland. Well, which brings us to present day, and uh, your latest project is a documentary, uh, which is very interesting. Please tell us about that. Sure. Uh, Hollywood Bob. Hollywood Bob is the name of the documentary that I produced, and um, it was a project, kind of a lifelong goal of mine to produce a documentary. At this stage of my career, I thought, hey, this is the time. If not now, it's going to be never, so I'm going to do it now. So I spent a year producing this film. It's, I always feel funny calling it a film because it's, of course, all shot on video, but that is still what we call them. And um, it's about Hollywood Bob. He's a, definitely a local eccentric character that had some drama that played out, and that's the story uh, of the documentary. Well, you say eccentric, eccentric, and which way, like... I mean, what made him eccentric and a, and a local celebrity? Well, Hollywood Bob looks like the devil. Um, he yeah, that'll had, do it. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. want to you want to get people's attention. He has long, dark, jet black dyed hair, uh, a black goatee. He wears sunglasses all the time. He dresses all in black. His fingernails are painted black, and he's a limousine driver. Does he carry a sickle? No, no, no. But like, um, he's a limo driver. And so, you know, he, he's very uh, noticeable and uh, some people find him kind of scary. And so I first met Hollywood Bob uh, at a Jonas Brothers concert at Blossom uh, where I took my kids. Jo- and the devil's children. Right? Yeah, well, you know, and this guy approaches my kids. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. You want to see my limo? And I was like, what the heck? And I'm looking at the black fingernails and I was like, get away from my kids. You know, I, I was very put off by it. And so I told some people at work about it. And they said, oh, that's just Hollywood Bob. You know, he's, he's a famous guy. And I thought, what? You know, I was very, very um, curious about that. So I would see Bob around because Bob happens to live in the Chagrin area like I do. And so I would see him around in the grocery store, in the parking lot, wherever. And Bob, um, you know, part of his story is he loves to approach people and talk to them. And so Bob would you know, hey, hey, hey. And so once I had a conversation with him once, he knew me. And so he would always come up to me and talk to me. And I got to know him a little bit as kind of a a colorful character, but he seemed like a decent guy. You know, he, he wasn't scary. Everyone thought he was scary. I thought he was scary. And so um, around that same time over those years, I got to know him over a period of about six years. Bob, for the first time in his life, and he's over 70 years old, um, started having trouble with the law. First time in his life. Like, it's age 70 he had trouble? Yeah. Like, he, never before? Never before. Never. Not even that I could find even traffic violations. Um, he really had no problems with the law. You know, he, he was a limousine driver in the, you know, most prominent, I guess, in the 90s and the 2000s, where he built a successful business. He found that by cultivating this persona of Hollywood Bob, um, you know, he was memorable. And in the limousine business, people would call for him because I know this crazy guy, Hollywood Bob, he's a lot of fun. And so that um, that was kind of a, a business angle that he had. And over time, I think the persona kind of took over his personality because that's, that's who he is now. But um, he... 
you know, developed a reputation uh, as reliable, great customer service, always took care of his people. And so he became the limo driver for many prominent Cleveland uh, wealthy folks, athletes, and anyone prominent. You know, they all knew Hollywood Bob and they all chose Hollywood Bob as their driver or any one of his other 11 limos and drivers that he, he built that business. So he, he was very successful with it. Would, um, he tell, would he, when you guys conversation, we'd tell you like great stories of, you know, hey, I picked up some huge celebrity and, and you know, they're really nice. Was, was that the general consensus that the big celebrities were always actually nice people or not? Well, and that, that was the other thing. You know, the, the anybody who came to Cleveland from Hollywood or famous politicians as well, um, he got the reputation as this is the best limo service, call Hollywood Bob. And so he did work with many famous people, um, probably the most prominent and, you know, his, his favorite uh, is Meg Ryan. You know, Meg Ryan, he says, is his girlfriend. And um, he drove Meg Ryan among many, many others and, uh, you know, loves to regale people with those stories. And then, you know, after age 70, Bob, you know, the the craziness of his persona kind of started to take over. And and I don't know if it's dementia. I, I don't, you know, he's not been diagnosed. He says he doesn't believe in doctors. But um, he, he, you know, like um, a little crazy, definitely maybe a lot crazy, but but harmless, friendly and a good hearted guy. But people started to move into the area who didn't know Bob's history. People, you know, older people grew up and had kids or p- younger people grew up and had kids and they didn't know Hollywood Bob. And, and you know, his appearance is scary. His behavior is is strange. And so pe- he started to run into trouble with the law. People would call the cops on him because there's this weirdo who approached my kids, which uh, on one level I can definitely understand. But Bob started to get into trouble with the law and much of it based on his appearance rather than any actual crimes, which I don't believe he has committed at all. And so that is that's the narrative of the film. It's telling Bob's story, following him through his colorful history. One of the prominent points is uh, the famous Cleveland comic book writer, uh, Harvey Pekar, most famous for American Splendor. Did he also do uh, the R.J. Is R.J. Crumb stuff? Well, he, he worked with R. Crumb a lot. R. Yeah. Crumb, that's Yes. Right. Um, and so, you know, you know, he's a very well-known guy. I found out as I started to get to know Bob that Harvey wrote stories about him. And, and I got some of those books. And it just made me even more curious about, you know, this guy has a story to tell and this guy's being done wrong and I want to try to help him and I want to tell his story. Is uh, Harvey Picar still alive? No, he died um, several years ago. Oh, that's stink because he'd probably love to see this this documentary. Well, his, his uh, widow, Joyce Brabner, is my Facebook friend um, and I don't know that she's seen it. Um she probably gets a lot of fans uh, who are, you know, contacting her. And I, I don't know if she's seen it, but she accepted my Facebook friend request. And it seems like Hollywood Bob is all I post about on Facebook nowadays. So I, I believe she knows about it. Well, great. We want to hear more about it. Uh, I've seen it. It's fantastic. And you have a Cleveland premiere coming up. Tell us more of that. Well, yeah, um, the theatrical premiere, the first time the movie has been shown in an actual theater, is um, coming up this Wednesday, uh, November 20th. I uh, am now the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association. We have a beautiful 400-seat theater and conference center, 
And the folks there, my boss at the CMBA, has said, why don't we show this movie? It does deal a lot with um, the legal system, specifically with Cuyahoga and Geauga County courts. And so I think it's perfectly uh, appropriate for movie night is something that the bar has done before. And so I'm very excited for the theatrical premiere of Hollywood Bob coming up uh, Wednesday, November 20th. And what's the location of that? Uh, 1375 East 9th Street, 1 Cleveland Center. Um, and it's open to the public. The screening is free. Um, we're going to have uh, some cocktails and snacks. And I'm really hoping that people will show up. Uh, I'd love to fill that theater. It's a big, <laughs> 400 seats is a lot of seats. But um, everybody's welcome. I'd encourage people to come and see it. And Bob is going to be there. Bob himself is going to be there for the theatrical premiere. What about Meg Ryan? Any chance? No, I, I I've um, <laughs> reached out to Meg Ryan's publicist a couple of times for this to, when I was making the film, and I and I have not heard from her. Gotcha. Unfortunately, I don't know her. Devin, do you know her by chance? I do not. Is Bob going to take a limo or an Uber, or how is Bob going to get there? I I told him he shouldn't take the limo because uh, there's no place to park it. Really, I mean, unless you park on the street. But um, he uh he drives himself. And, and, you know, again, he, he's eccentric, but he still takes fares to the airport now and then. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to ask. Like, is he still still working? Well, that's great. I've seen the movie, and uh, it, it's good. I think – and now that you mentioned the, the law aspects, because it's a – you know, it's kind of like, was he done – done wrong and a lot of it would say yes he was because he's hollywood bob people just made some assumptions about him and it's uh interesting and that's a great take on it because well you have to see it and find out it but i think i think everyone will like it i know i know for sure i did well and i'll just say too that if people can't make it to the premiere um you can watch it on youtube right now if you simply search hollywood bob on youtube you will find the full documentary um the film, I'm proud to say, has been accepted to two festivals, uh, 2019 Toronto Liftoff Online Festival. And just yesterday, I found out that it was accepted to another festival called Docs Without Borders, um, a documentary film festival. So um, pretty exciting. Yeah, and, congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'm, I, I think that's that's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I encourage people to watch it. Well, I hope I hope they will. Um and it, uh, we'll post a link on our website as well, this one time at OU.com, as well as our Facebook uh, as well. Well, Brennan, before we, we wrap up, we always uh, like to talk about favorite memories and what made Athens and OU special to us. What would you say were yours? Well, you know, I, I think that, of course, the, the experience I got, the academic experience, many of the classes I still remember today, and not just media classes. I feel like I got a great, well-rounded education. But the fun part, the frontier room, the frontier room at the Baker Center, which I know is not not the student center anymore, nor is the frontier room there. And I don't think they would do that nowadays because, um, it you know, they served alcohol and any sunny spring day um, classes, a lot of people were skipping classes. You would find a huge crowd out on the outdoor patio of the frontier room, uh, enjoying Athens right in the heart of campus. And, uh, it was a great place. I remember drinking beer there and always reading the post. That was like the place yep. to go. Yeah. It was a yeah. great place. My dad even has stories about the front room, that whole, po- yeah. Great location. That was a great spot. Yep. I loved it. Yeah. That's a good choice for sure. 
Well, well, thanks, Brennan and Devin. Great to hear you now. Now that soccer's over and you're a successful coach, hopefully you can be on some more podcasts. Yeah, hopefully. Keep the website moving, too. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. Uh, Brennan, thank you so much, and we look forward to the big premiere of your movie, and we'll put it out there and make sure everyone goes. And uh, that's all I got. Well, thank you. I, 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 I appreciate you having me on, and um, yeah, it was fun. All right.